I'm Steph. And I'm Jeff. Each week, we review a film that's streaming online. As writers, we'll deep dive into the characters and plot to tell you if it's a good story. Listen at your own risk. This review contains spoilers. Now sit back. Relax. And and enjoy enjoy Stream On. Today, we'll be reviewing Wind River, streaming on Amazon Prime. When the body of a young woman is discovered on an Indian reservation in Wyoming, FBI agent Jane Banner is sent in to investigate. Teaming up with Fish and Wildlife Officer Corey Lambert, they set out to solve the crime. Wind River was written and directed by Taylor Sheridan. It's based on the real-life accounts of missing and murdered Indigenous women. It stars Jeremy Renner as Corey Lambert, a U.S. fish and wildlife tracker, Elizabeth Olson as Jane Banner, an FBI agent, Graham Greene as Ben Shoyo, a tribal police chief, and Gil Birmingham as Martin Hansen, the dad of Natalie, and Natalie is our victim that is found mysteriously dead in the snow. So Steph, this is your pick. What drew you to this movie? So I was listening to a true crime podcast episode, and they talked about the murder of a woman named Faith Hedgepath, and she was an indigenous woman in North Carolina. And this episode shed light on the fact that there's an epidemic in our country and in Canada of missing and murdered indigenous women. And it caused me to go down an internet rabbit hole wanting to learn more about this topic. So in my research on this epidemic, I discovered the movie Wind River, which Taylor Sheridan stated he wrote because he wanted to bring awareness to this human rights issue that he doesn't feel enough people really were tracking to. And so while the movie itself is a fictionalized account, Taylor said that it was inspired by many real-life accounts he read about of missing and murdered Indigenous women. And just to throw out a statistic, they are three and a half times more likely to be victims of crime than other women. So I thought it was an important topic. And after spending hours researching it one night, I decided it was worth watching the movie um, that was made to raise social awareness to the issue. Okay. Well, while this movie does have a number of interesting things to look at from a writer's point of view. I wonder if you wouldn't want to start with the whole idea of message movies, since that was one of the big reasons you picked this film. Sometimes film to create a message, I think works really well, um, because especially if it's a topic that you don't know a lot about and you tell a conspiracy, compelling story around that topic, it really can get the viewer interested in the topic, especially if it like pulls at your emotions. And the question is, does this movie do a good enough job of that? And for me, it did. Um, I definitely left this film with a heaviness around this topic and, and felt grief for all of the missing and murdered women that are out there that are indigenous, um, the complexities of navigating jurisdictional issues when you're investigating a crime that takes place 
on a reservation or near a reservation and, you know, who has jurisdiction and what are the resources, the lack of resources the tribal police has to investigate something. I mean, it's it's really complex. And after I finished the film, I did a little more internet research on this topic. Uh, The film has one scene that is extremely uncomfortable to watch, and I'll just warn viewers ahead of time, um, especially you know if you've ever been a victim of sexual assault, there is a, a pretty hard rape scene to watch that happens to our victim, Natalie. One in three Indigenous women are sexually assaulted, um, and these, these cases face a very low prosecution rate. Women go missing and murdered Indigenous women at a rate 10 times higher than the national average. It was really sad for me to see how much is not being done. I didn't see this film as a happy ending. It it leaves you with this, you know, hole of feeling like there's just not enough being done. See, the problem with this movie and the problem with doing a message film or a message story is you have to understand what the point is you're trying to make and reinforce that. If the point is that this is an underserved community, that there are a lot of victims who never have investigations, who never get justice, the last thing you want to do is make a movie where you get a dedicated, in fact, instantly obsessed federal officer, actually two federal officers since Corey Lambert is a fish and wildlife agent, who are willing to go to extreme lengths to get justice. You have local law enforcement, all being fairly cooperative to the point that a number of them lay their lives down in the pursuit of justice. All of the perpetrators are killed by the end, many of them in a firefight that takes place at the in the third act, and one of whom is basically shown vigilante justice by Lambert when he's taken out and left to die on a frozen mountaintop. This woman does get justice, or as much justice as you're going to get from killing all the people who raped and murdered you and killed your boyfriend. When you're trying to tell a message in your story, when you want to make social commentary, your story should reinforce that. It shouldn't actively contradict what your core message is. And in this film, the story we see is the opposite of what the writer-director seems to want to say. Now, you mentioned that they're lacking resources and things like that for the tribal police, and that is mentioned, but it doesn't really seem to play out. Agent Banner has basically all the resources she needs to solve the crime in a fairly short amount of time. There's no scenes really of law enforcement not being cooperative. The closest might be a local medical examiner who is doing an autopsy on the victim, and he refuses to label it a murder. But as it's explained, it's mostly because he can't at that point. It's not that he doesn't want to. It's because of what the evidence is showing. He can't say it was murder, even though he says we all know it is. Right, because technically she died in in the snow. Like she she wasn't she ran, right, to escape a rapist and then she died freezing to death in the snow. 
this is not the this has nothing to do with whether it's an effective film as a film, as a dramatic story, or as a thriller, or even a procedural. But as a message film, this does all the things you shouldn't do in a message film or with a message story. Interesting. That I just had such a different experience with the film. Like, yes, it did have a the pseudo happy ending where Pete gets justice and is left to die in the snow, just like Natalie. What happened to Natalie? There is still such a heaviness to this film. Like there was the issue with Corey's daughter that died, right? And there was never that sense of justice there. So he, this is was his redemption arc to like help another indigenous woman that was um, raped and ended up dying. And there was just there to me there was just that profound sadness that okay, well maybe. Natalie's case got justice, but there's so many more that didn't. And I, I think maybe it was some of this, the setting that created a heaviness to the film. And then the coda, which you mentioned, it talks about how while missing person statistics are compiled for every other demographic, none exists for Native American women. So nobody actually knows how many are missing. And so I, I still felt to me, the message got across, even though you had sort of that the ending where it did tie a bow on it and you got some justice for Natalie. Uh, so you think this film would have worked a lot better if they never solved the case and we never knew who, how Natalie ended up murdered? Well, if that's the message that you're trying to convey, yes. My question to you would be this. If you hadn't done any prior research, if you hadn't come across this in the context of a podcast about murder and rape cases that are going unreported, unsolved, and if you extract that text at the end, would you be able to, by watching this film, extract that message? I personally don't know how you could. Yes, I think I could because of the fact that it said it at the end and also because of what happened to Corey's daughter. And there were some woven discussions throughout about the challenges of investigating a case on a reservation and just the lack of resources. Um, And even the fact that the FBI sent kind of a rookie agent, right? Your classic fish out of water rookie agent with Jane. Uh, is was another thing where they're like, oh, okay, this lady doesn't even know what she's doing. This is who we get to help us solve this crime. Um, so, and there's a, multiple scenes of impoverishment on the reservation and the challenges. And so, I think I still would have left with a message that this is a huge issue and problem, um, even if I hadn't done the pre-research on this film. So, I'm curious as a writer how would you have changed the ending or the story arc to better raise awareness? Do you have any ideas? I would have gone with a more ambiguous ending or even a downer ending that basically the case is abandoned, that there is no wrap up, that Jane is pulled out after a short amount of time. And it's just going to be written off as this woman who maybe was on drugs or whatever is going to go in the official report and died from exposure, even though people involved in the investigation know there's more to it. I think I also would have made it more explicit that in the context of the story with discussions with the characters, that the amount of effort being put into this case is 
not normal. One interesting bit about this, and this will get us into the some issues I have with the fish out of water character, uh, Agent Banner, is that there is an FBI residency in Linder, which is the town that this is kind of set around. You could have introduced a superior FBI agent, a superior officer saying, look, you have X amount of time to work on this, and then we're moving on to other things. This happens all the time. It may have been a little heavy handed, but if you are going to lay out a message, I think you want to make it explicit. You do not want to wait until the end of the movie and some text says, hey, by the way, this is what the last 120 minutes were about. So since you thought the message was effective, is there anything that you would have done to enhance it? Or do you think it was fine the way it was? I think it was fine the way it was for the most part, maybe because I I found the exploration of grief around the message so powerful, especially um, between Corey and Martin and discussing grief around the death of Corey's da- daughter and the death of Martin's daughter. So I, I think it was effective that the, probably the thing I would have done is I, I don't, I didn't really like Pete, the main villain character. I, I was disappointed in his performance and I felt it was overacted. So I probably would have written something different there. I, I would have made his character different. And then the shootout scene I think I would have changed a bit of how they got a, got to the revenge because the shootout scene felt very rushed to me and unlikely that all these different police and security factions would all start shooting at each other so quickly. It, it felt like, okay, we're running out of time in this film. We need to wrap up the plot. So let's have everyone start shooting at each other. And then we're going to do a big flashback scene at the trailer to show what happened to Natalie. I thought it was good that he showed you the rape scene. So the flashback was okay. It was just Pete himself was just a, I just don't think he was the right villain. I I needed somebody that looked and acted different than him. So I would have rewritten that part a bit to have a more interesting villain character because there was so much build up to who did it right then the actor james it's it's nothing to say like there's nothing wrong with james jordan as an actor who played pete it's just i don't think he was the right fit for this role he was so whiny um his confession his drunk confession on the mountaintop was really overacted and yeah i just don't think it was cast right so i would have i would have figured out a different way to get to that climax i I didn't mind the fact that he left him in the snow to die. Like I thought that was justice. Um, It was just how it was acted and how they built it up. I didn't like the shootout scene. I think I would have gotten rid of that whole shootout scene. Well, there are a few things you mentioned that I wanted to talk about. I will start though with the last thing you mentioned, and that is how Pete meets his end. I don't see that as justice in the sense of, going through the law enforcement system. This guy would clearly be going to jail forever. If not for the rape, then definitely for participating in the murder of half a dozen police officers. The film was just wanted to have a bookend. That is the fate of uh, the young woman who dies at the beginning 
we see as she's fleeing in the snow and eventually collapses. They wanted to bookend that with the fate of the person who killed her. That's fine dramatically, but it really comes very close, if not going over the line, into Corey committing murder. I didn't have a huge problem with that ending. I'm just brought it up. I, I don't think that's pretty justice. I did have a significant problem with the flashback, not how it was structured. The actions of the characters made sense and it was harrowing. The problem is where it happens. It is right before we're going to get into this confrontation between Jane and Pete. Well, we assume it's going to be a confrontation. It turns into this, uh, this big firefight that you mention, which I also agree is totally out of step with the rest of the movie. The flashback, though, killed the momentum the film had. We already have a pretty good sense of what happened to the victim. We have an idea of what happened to her boyfriend. I actually don't think we need to see it. Or if we did, it could have been at the beginning of the film or somewhere else. But so my question to you about that, did you find that that flashback enhanced the pace of the film or was it detracting to the pace of the film? It did slow it down a bit. I would agree, especially because you did it, you know, right before your shootout. I don't know if that was the best spot for it in this film. I think putting it either at the beginning or maybe like having bits of it throughout the film, uh, to drop clues here and there, you could have done that. You could, I do agree with you, although it was jarring. Yes. I mean, it was, you, you watch this poor woman getting raped um, and the director wanted the camera on that. So you could feel what Natalie was going through, but I, could you have told that in a different way and just not had the flashback and just had a confession from Pete or some of the other characters that were there at the time? I think that's a possibility. Um, I, you could have also talked to other survivors and gotten a sense of what likely would have happened to Natalie based on their experiences. I mean, there's a lot of different ways you could have done it without having that scene. Um, I, I agree with you. It was misplaced in the movie. If you wanted to have it, it should have gone somewhere else in the film. I like the idea of actually breaking that up and having it dribble in because we do have some parts of the film that take place out of sight of the point of view characters. And I would say the point of view characters are Jane and Corey. The opening takes place from the point of view of Natalie, the victim. We could have had something where it is you know, the events of what led her to that are interspersed with what's happening with the rest of the story. That opening, actually, I had a little issue with which I'm just going to bring up now and see if you had an issue with it. And that's the use of voiceover. I, I guess the writer equivalent of this would be narration that speaks directly to the reader. So in this case, the film opens with a woman talking about her environment, the reservation and the land and all that. It's implied that this is Natalie, mostly because Natalie's on screen. Turns out it's not, that it is Corey's dead daughter reading a 
poem she wrote, I actually thought that was not effective. And it got worse when I realized who it was who was saying this. For a film that wanted to be fairly realistic and, as you pointed out, pretty grim, this bit of fourth wall breaking seemed really out of place. Voiceover can be used very well. I think like the opening of Apocalypse Now, and in fact, all of Martin Sheen's uh, characters' voiceover in Apocalypse Now is useful and helps give insight to that character and reinforce some of the themes of the film. But not all voiceovers are equal. You can take a look at Blade Runner, for example, which has a little bit of Harrison Ford's character giving some voice over what's going on, and it comes across as clunky, and what it was is like a post-production demand by some studio executives to clarify things. This doesn't seem like that. This was clearly meant to be part of the film. This is part of the story. It didn't work that well for me. So when you're writing and use that kind of directed exposition, would you agree that you have to be judicious in how you use it? And do you think that it worked in this movie or did you find it kind of ineffective and a bit jarring the way I did? I think it was definitely an attempt for Taylor Sheridan to come across as like tragically poetic at the beginning of the film. And I agree this movie should, it's gritty, it's real, it's, you know, in your face, depression on the reservation and the cold and the snow. And this, this poem and voice, it, it was a bit out of place in this movie. I don't think it was necessary. I'm not a huge fan of voiceovers in general. I tend to find them lazy writing because you're not you could just show it in your characters and in in the story. You don't need to go over your story. I mean, there are a few times when it can work, especially for comedic purposes. But I, I in general, think voiceover should be used pretty minimally in films um, because I would rather just see it in the characters and in the dialogue and the acting and the scenes. So, yeah, I could have gotten rid of the beginning voiceover and the film would have been just as effective. Okay. Not a huge point, but I just wanted to bring that up. There is, however, a big issue with this film that I did want to bring up, and that has to do with Jane Banner's character and the concept of using a fish out of water. Fish out of water characters are a very important part of storytelling. It allows you to do world building, explain how different people are interacting and why things are happening in a more natural way than just detached exposition. However, not all fish out of water characters are the same. I have some serious problems with why Banner is even in this movie, which I'll be happy to go into in depth. But first, did you find that the handling of this particular character as being the fish on water, the outsider who has to be brought the speed on everything that's happening, did that work for you? 
I was fine with it. I mean, it, it's tropey, right? But it's an easy way to bring an outside the out of towner in to investigate a murder. And along the way, she's got to learn a bit about what it's like on the reservation and living in the harsh reality of Wyoming. And you, you know, there's where she has to get dressed for the cold and wear a snowsuit and get used to being in the bleak reality of it all. Like I, it worked for me. Yeah. I get that it's, it is a trope to do it that way, but I was fine in the context of this film with Jane's character overall. Um, I thought she and Corey, played off well with each other. Like I thought it was like Elizabeth Olsen and Jeremy Renner, like did a pretty good job um, with their chemistry. So it worked for me in the context of this film, but it sounds like it didn't work for you. So I would love to know why. For a fish out of water character to be effective. I think there has to be a plausible reason for them to be in this situation. I want to bring up the 1992 movie, Thunderheart, starring Val Kilmer. It has a broadly similar story in that Val Kilmer is an FBI agent sent to an Oglala Sioux reservation in South Dakota to participate in a murder investigation. And then the movie goes through the usual stuff of trying to find out who committed the crime, why they committed it. The reason he is sent, though, makes sense. We get an opening in D.C. at FBI headquarters where his section chief is saying, hey, you're going to go out to participate in what is potentially a politically sensitive investigation because of who the victim was. And we're sending you because of your heritage. His father was Sue. But he has rejected that heritage. We find out that he only knew his father for a few years, and he's wanted to completely assimilate. So when he goes there, there's a reason for him to be there. He is teamed up with another FBI agent who kind of explains things. We also have a tribal police officer who is also played by Graham Greene, who plays the tribal police officer in this film. And these characters and some others help him embrace his heritage and it works there is a reason for him to be there but it's also in character for him to have a bunch of things explained to him whether it's because he's an outsider coming into a situation that has political overtones and deals with power dynamics on the reservation that he's not aware of or cultural things because he's rejected his heritage this film, the FBI agent is apparently sent in at random because she was at a conference in the state. It's very clunky and it's made worse by the fact that the FBI has an office in the town. I don't know why they didn't just go with background for this character, that she is a new agent just assigned to this FBI residency. And this is going to be your first case. And then you could get the pressure from above to just wrap this up as quickly as possible. But as it is, we get someone who's thrown in, who has no background in anything that she's having to deal with as far as the complexities of performing an investigation 
on a reservation. And also apparently no real supervision. I don't recall any moment in the movie where she's seen even reporting in what's going on. And I may be missing something or may have been something in there. I just don't remember that. But it makes for a character who seems far more shoehorned into the story than is necessary, even for this type of character. So I don't know. What do you think about that? I took the lack of supervision just as the FBI doesn't care that much. Like this is one of those like low level things and it's not like a high profile crime that they're just going to send a rookie agent from whoever was closest and available at the time and plop her in and she can do her thing and send back her report. And like, I just, I took it as just not caring by the agency at large. And that was the message that Taylor was trying to get across is that they don't care enough about this case to send a seasoned agent or even have oversight of the situation. Yeah, I guess it just depends on how you read into it. I didn't realize there was an FBI uh, location in that town either. Is that, I, I don't believe that was mentioned in the film. Is that something you just found with research? It is. I was interested if there was an FBI office in the state because the FBI has jurisdiction over certain crimes on reservations. So I was interested where the closest one was. And it turns out it is in the town that this movie takes place in. Yeah. So that would have just been easier to say, hey, you're a new rookie agent. You just got assigned to this outpost here and you have to investigate this case. You could have done it that way too without her randomly being at the conference. But I guess I didn't think that hard about it. To me, I was more focused on the the solving of Natalie's crime um, and and the exploration of grief around that um, to be that concerned about where Jane came from. Well, it is important to the character to some degree. First, I like to have all my characters have a plausible reason for being in them, and there are better ones than what we were given. But also, Jane becomes, I would say, almost obsessive about solving this crime. I think it would have helped to have that character either have a spelled out personal investment in solving this crime to explain the length she goes to, or leverage the idea that she is the new agent in that area, in that office, and she wants to really do good on her first case. The character is not a rookie. She just isn't from this area. And I'm not certain if they go over some of the things she did in the past. I think we do get a sense of that she had been involved in investigations. I mean, many investigations in the past. She's not like a new agent. She's not as well developed as a character as Corey is, right? Corey is much more richly developed in terms of his backstory, the grief around the loss of his daughter, the tension with his ex-wife around that, his kid. Like, Corey is a way better developed character than Jane is. So, yeah, you could have gone a couple ways with Jane. If you wanted to develop her out further, you could have had her maybe had a a case that went bad that she never solved, and she's haunted by that. That's a classic way to do it. Maybe she was a victim of sexual assault, and so it was very personal for her. Or you could just have her, yeah, be young and new and needing to prove herself and people doubting her ability 
as an outsider white woman coming in. Um, so you could have gone one of three ways with that. And they really, they, they didn't develop her character that well. She was more plot devicey and the, the richer character and the focus was very much more on Corey. This leads to a real question. Did we need Shane at all? it becomes this kind of white people to the rescue movie. And in Jane's case, she's not even connected to the local community at all. I think this movie would have worked much better if it had just been Corey's story and that we could have had like the tribal police and local law enforcement involved as other characters, but that would actually take care of some of the things that I have issues with. You would remove the ham-handed way Jane's characters put in. You would have a very personal reason for an obsession with finding out who killed Natalie because of both Corey's background with his daughter, but also because this is his community. This is his story. This is how he is dealing with his grief or what happened to his daughter. And that is part of this story. I think, though, having Jane in this movie is a distraction from what is really the core story, which is Corey and how he is dealing with his loss. What do you think? Jane didn't bother me as much as she did you in this story because they used her to help get the viewer into the world as, you know, you're the outsider also coming in as the as the watcher of this film. But I agree that you could have written her out and still had an effective film and maybe to play off of Corey's character, you have some, you know, FBI agent assigned that just doesn't care, right? That they're just trying to wrap up the crime quickly and you can tell they're doing like a crap job with it just to, you know, send their report back to Washington and be like done with it. Um, And so because there's that, and maybe you could have potentially gotten your point across further with hammering in the fact that there's, that the FBI and some of the larger law enforcement agencies don't care about these crimes. And you could have had a kind of a villainous FBI agent in that sense. Right. And, and so Corey has to step in to save the day to solve the crime because it's not being done by the FBI. Like I think that could have worked well and gotten rid of, or, and if you were going to have a Jane character, make her be like that. Yeah, actually that would work really well. You could have her as right the head of the local FBI office saying, I have a medical examiner report that said she died from exposure. I don't care about the rest of this. Yeah, just trying to wrap it up quickly and he's trying to keep it open and the tension there. And yeah, I think that could have been a better way to do it. There are a couple other things that I wanted to bring up about the film. I guess because you had mentioned this um, in terms of the film as an exploration of grief, and that that's really the powerful story here is what happened to to Corey with his daughter. And you can feel the grief throughout the film. I, I wanted to just point out one scene that I thought was really well acted that gets at this message. So Corey and Martin, that's Natalie's dad, you know, they they have this really powerful scene together. And um you see them, uh, like he goes to the house, he sees Natalie's room and photos of her at different ages. And then you see some of her 
with his daughter. And you can just see, like, it's well acted. You can see the pain on his face as he's remembering his daughter. Um, and then he he tells Martin at one point, giving him advice um, as a grieving father, take the pain. It's the only way you'll keep her with you. And you can feel that Corey is carrying the pain of his daughter's loss throughout the film. And then at the end, you find Martin outside and he he's, has his face painted with like a a, a death face paint and he's grieving and and he asked like did you did you fulfill your promise to me because basically Corey had promised that he would take care of things for Martin and make it right and um he said no one is missing he went out with a whimper uh and there's this like silent acknowledgement between the two and then Martin asks, got time to sit with me? And Corey says, I ain't going nowhere. And that's how the film ends. And it's just this, I just felt it was so powerful. That moment between two men acknowledging their emotions. To me, that that's the deeper message of this film is that we like need each other to, to grieve and to acknowledge the loss and that, that, it's important to take the time to do that and sit in that pain. And I, I thought that was a good way to end this film, even though it ended it on a sad tone. What are your thoughts about the way the film ended? I did have some issues with the ending of the movie, which I won't get to, but I did really want to comment on the theme of grief that is handled very well and powerfully in this film. And it's a lot more engaging than the supposed message of the movie, which, as I've talked about, I don't think is brought out very well. The grief angle, though, is at the fore of Corey's motivation, and it also defines how he's interacting with these different characters. Because I think every character in this movie has some sort of grief or disappointment that they're trying to work through with the exception of Jane, which goes back to, I, I don't think Jane is a particularly needed character in this movie. A better way to have handled this, as I'd mentioned before, was would be to focus on Corey as the sole protagonist. You could even have done something interesting with the flashbacks. You could have interspersed them in the film use the voiceover of Corey's daughter reading this poem as a background. And then at the end, have it reveal that this is basically Corey thinking about what it happened to Natalie, but show that you could do a, a picture of the two girls together, which we do get, but make it clear that he is projecting his daughter into this. So we see it's not Natalie, have Natalie look very different. And it's his daughter he's seeing go through this and turn this whole thing into an examination of grief as opposed to the message that we're supposed to get out of this. My favorite scenes are those with Corey and Martin. As to your question about the ending, I like the scene between Corey and Martin. It's very well acted. I did find that the ending went on a bit long for where it dramatically should have ended. It's probably because of 
the Jane material we get, and that that had been excised with no Jane character, and this end on these two fathers sharing their grief, I think that would have worked really well. I also could have done without the end text. I thought that was unnecessary and seemed more like the writer-director wanted to make it clear what he thought his movie was about. So I, it was a mixed ending for me. But since we're talking about endings, unless you have something else to talk about with the plot, why don't we get into our final thoughts? Do you have anything else you want to say about the plot? Um, sure. No, I would just say that I thought the in-text was okay in this film, but I also thought the film did a better job than you did getting the point across. So it, it was fine for me after the grief scene, because those are the two key points in this film. Okay, so what was your favorite scene? So one of the things that I thought this film did a really good job of is using the environment to set the tone. And, and that's something that Taylor Sheridan has a knack for of showing this bleak American subculture with the visuals of the environment. He did it well in Sicario, which is another one of his films, showing the bleak reality at the U.S.-Mexican border and why it creates a breeding ground for drug crime. And he does the same in Wind River, where he uses the harsh environment of Wyoming. And there's a lot of scenes with snowmobiles and blizzards, and it just looks like a cold, miserable, depressing place to live. And it is an actual reservation, Wind River, Um, even though the film was shot in Utah, but it does a good job showing the the bleakness of what it might look like. So my, my favorite scene that uses the environment to set tone is there is one where we have our characters entering Wind River Reservation. It's kind of our first time seeing the reservation as the viewer. It happens earlier in the film and you it just uses these visuals to show you how depressing the reservation is. We see a tattered American flag hanging upside down. People are covered in blankets hovering around a fire pit trying to keep warm. We see these like run down trailers and it's just this you can feel the heavy, tragic atmosphere of generational trauma as the camera takes you onto the reservation. Uh, yeah, I thought that was a really good scene. Uh, what about you, Jeff? So my favorite scene was the first discussion between Corey and Martin when they are talking about Natalie. It was well acted. The dialogue was good. You know, it was a very powerful moment. So what would you say your least favorite scene is? So I'd mentioned this one earlier, but I didn't like the final shootout scene. It felt really unrealistic to me. It pulled me out. It was too jarring. And for a film that starts off so deliberately paced and kind of a slow build-up movie, it just felt like they rushed this ending. What about you? I I do want to say that is probably my number two least favorite scene for the reasons you articulated. It seems so out of place with the rest of the movie, but my least favorite scene has to be the flashback. It just wipes out the momentum of the movie. I did want to bring up one other little thing that I disliked, not because it was necessarily bad, but it was odd. I really wanted Chekhov's mountain lion. 
Corey is hunting this mountain lion who's preying on local livestock, and he even finds where it is. I had this feeling that that was how he was going to kill Pete, because he knows where the mountain lion's lair is. I was thought he was going to take Pete there and let the mountain lion do the job. And I was a little bummed that that never happened. I don't know. Did you have any thoughts on that, or were you just like, oh, whatever, mountain lion? Well, I just thought they were using it to show that he was like, a hunter, right? Um, and it was one of those things where there was a line that Elizabeth Olsen said um, early on in the film, "Come, help, so you hunt predators, come help me hunt a predator, Like, <laughs> which is kind of a cheesy line. But I felt that they put the mountain lion thing in just to show that he is a a hunter of predators. And that's why he's going to be good at helping hunt down Natalie's killer because he can, you know, look at tracks in the snow and whatnot. So yeah, I didn't even put the two together that that would have been a good uh, way for Pete to meet his demise at the end. Okay, well, just a warning to anyone out there who wants to see a murderous rapist eaten by a mountain lion, it's not going to happen in this movie. So Steph, what is your final panda rating from zero to five pandas what do you give wind river so this is a solid film for me um there are a few issues with it but i gave it a three and a half um i felt it was well shot and powerfully acted um particularly by uh jeremy renner's character as well as graham green and gil birmingham's characters i, I agree jane was kind of eh but Overall, it was powerfully acted by the men in the film. Um, it's a good exploration on grief. It, to me, does raise some awareness about this human rights issue of missing and murdered Indigenous women. And, um, you know, it it, it it's, has a bleak overcast that carries you throughout the film and leaves you with that that sense of kind of exploring your own grief honestly um and so for me that's why i i gave it a three and a half um it lost points for me because of how it rushed the climax of the film the shootout scene the lack of true development of jane's character and how they cast pete the villain um but Overall, I would recommend this film. I think you need to be in the right mood to watch this film because it is a heavy topic. It is fairly bleak. So make sure you're in the right frame of mind to watch this film. Um, but I would recommend it. What about you, Jeff? So I gave it 2.5 pandas out of water. It is a serviceable mystery crime thriller which is hampered by a weak and messy third act, some poor character development, and a muddled message. It also lost some points for the momentum-killing flashback and an oddly acrobatic gun battle in a movie that is otherwise fairly realistic. And that is it. Okay, well, what do we have coming up next week? So next week... We're going to be reviewing The Bling Ring, currently streaming on Netflix. Stream On is a production of Steph and Jeff Wright's Media. Reproduction without written consent is prohibited. 
All rights reserved 2021.